the other thing um, for me was it was it was really uh, hard because it, the the age range for the the people were between 22 and 65. Right, 22 and 65 was the the basic age range for the people um, that had passed away in this last a couple of years, which which is you know a little not what we expected. Uh, considering that my grandma just turned 96 years old, you know, it would be like more surprising, like, okay, well, yeah, well, grandma's had a good life. You know, grandma's lived, grandma's taught, grandma's going on to be with the Lord. You know, instead, it was more, hey, we have this young man, this young woman, who we did not expect them to go so soon. Um, you know, but even in that, you know, either way, just in the midst of that, I was having a conversation, um, you know, with some of the people in the family, uh, and I made the comment to him that, you know, we need to get in a good church. More specifically, you need to get into a good church. You need to work on your relationship with God. The comment that I received was, you know, it wasn't surprising, but it was me and God are good. That was the comment that I, I received back. And and I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't as surprised from this comment, um, partially because I knew the individual who made the comment. I knew that this particular person was not in a good relationship with God. And I knew the kind of lifestyle they lived. Um, but also, this seems to be a current worldview. Uh, a lot of people believe that I am good as is. I am good enough to go to heaven. Me and God are good in my current state. You know, I didn't really press into it, uh, maybe as much as I should. Um, I just kind of took it, um, you know, as it was and moved on. But at, at the same time, you know, not to get into the whole background of it, but I think for me it was a little disconcerting to see people who I grew up with, who I, you know, were baptized with, making a statement of I am good with God and just leaving it at that very comfortably very confidently that they were good with God at a particular event where a loved one had passed away, knowing that now that loved one was on their way to hell, eternally separated from God. You know, we, we don't understand how deep our sin is. We don't understand the gravity of our sin. We don't understand what is in store for us if we do not put our trust in Christ. So my question for you this morning is as follows. If you died before the end of this sermon, what assurance do you have that your sins have been forgiven? I'll say that again. If you died before the end of this sermon, what assurance do you have that your sins have been forgiven? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we're going to Start in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 18. As we read through verse 18, I want you to pay particular uh, interest to the, the verbiage that is being used. Uh, you know, we've also heard some of this in our songs, but we're going to read. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there should be one in the seat uh, in front of you or somewhere in close proximity. Uh, feel free to use that Bible during this service and then to take it with you when you leave. Uh, so starting in Hebrews Chapter 10, verse 1, and reading through to verse 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, 
It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the life, for the sacrifice, for the obedience of Christ, Father, that, that brought him here to fulfill your plan of redemption, to draw your creation back into a good relationship with you. We thank you, Father, for this time that we can hear your word, Father, and that we thank you for the Holy Spirit that, that moves, that changes the hearts of men, that changes the minds and their focus, that moves them from their their sinful deeds and focuses their devotion and their attention on you, Father. We ask, Father, now that as we walk through these brief passages, Father, that the whole, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will work in us, Father, to change our attention to you, that will change the hearts of those who have put their faith in something other than Jesus Christ as their Savior, Father. We just pray that now your spirit will do its mighty work in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at the board, you would see that uh, today's sermon title is Jesus, the true and better Adam. You know, the idea of believing that uh, we are good with God on our own terms is extremely ignorant and it is extremely dangerous. If we think about what we can do in our own power, we'll understand that we are very limited. We are finite in our understanding. We are finite in our abilities and we are finite in our ability to be obedient to God. You know, I think about it, if, if Adam and Eve were able to be completely obedient, obedient uh, and to please God, there would be no need for the laws of Moses. And if we think about that, if 
Adam and Eve had done what God asked, there would be no need for God to provide a law, to provide that moral law in order for us to understand what it takes to please him. Likewise, if the old system of ritual sacrifices for atonement of sin had been sufficient, there would be no need for a better, perfect sacrifice. There would be no need for Jesus. However, the whole of the Old Testament, uh, from Genesis onward, has proven that man is only consistent in one thing, and that is being continually rebellious and ever inclined to the weakness of his heart, disobedient to God. That is what we are consistent at. That is what we are good at, our weaknesses. We know that sin has separated creation uh, from the creator, and we are incapable of restoring relationship to God in and of ourselves. This is bad news for us. Left to our own devices, we are incapable of restoring our relationship to God. If we think about the opening introduction of the fact, the statement that I am good with God, believing that on my own, I am sufficient to please God, this should change our minds. We are incapable of restoring our relationship with God in and of ourselves. But thank God, thank God in his great love and desire to reconcile humanity with himself that he has instituted and fulfilled a perfect plan of redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. The main point of today's message is look to Christ, the only perfect and acceptable sacrifice for the atonement of sin. Look to Christ, the only perfect and acceptable sacrifice for the atonement of sin. You know, Brian kind of mentioned it uh, Jonathan Gentry said it last week. Uh, I'm pretty sure Scott and J.D. said the same thing at, at a certain point. There are, there are at least two truths that I want to point out this morning. It's a, a very small passage, but there's at least, again, there's at least two truths that I want to make sure that I emphasize. Obviously, there's maybe more, but the two I want you to look at this morning, the first comes from verses 1 through 4, and the idea is this. The old system was temporary and thus insufficient, to provide lasting atonement for sin. Temporary and insufficient. The second comes from verse 5 through 18. Through Christ, God has provided the perfect and permanent sacrifice. Through Christ, God has provided the perfect and permanent sacrifice. And I've said this before, we, you know, man is incapable of being perfectly obedient. Adam was disobedient, and it led to the fall. Mankind was disobedient, and it led to the flood. We know that God will punish us when we're disobedient, but, but having just finished through Judges, uh, we can also be aware that God, even in man's inconsistencies, God is consistently faithful, and he comes to his people when we call. You know, in our weaknesses, God has provided a temporary solution so that Israel would be able to atone for their current sins. But this was a foreshadowing of God's perfect plan and not meant to be the lasting solution. Again, the old system was temporary and thus insufficient to provide lasting atonement for sin. 
You know, if you've paid attention to, uh, as we've read through chapter one, uh, through verse one, uh, and looked at this specific verbiage, the author goes in and he makes some real uh, description of the old system in the words of as a shadow and a preview. And so we all know that a, a shadow is essentially a reflection. If I stand up here and, and the light shines on me, there's a shadow that is cast behind me, but my shadow is not me. My shadow is not the true object. Likewise, a preview is only a set of highlights that point towards the main events to come. Neither the shadow nor the preview provide the full benefits of what we are looking forward to. Yeah, if, if we're looking for the full benefits, we have to, to wait for the event itself to start, and then from there we will receive the benefits. The sacrificial offering in the law provided means for Israel to atone for their current sins, but the full benefit could only be revealed in God's plan of redemption through, uh, be, uh, through his uh, son, Jesus Christ. And we look at the insufficiency of the law, and one of the ones that are prevalent is the inability to buy a perfect cleansing of sins. Uh, one of the things that we can likely assume here was the possibility that the sacrificial offerings became just another routine ritual. That, you know, no real devotion, no real worship. It's not surprising that the people would have become uh, basically... Uh, familiar, way too familiar with going in and providing yearly sacrifices, and they lost the understanding of reverence for God. And, and we see that today. Uh, many people go to church and they tithe, um, but there is no transformation of the heart, of their, of their hearts. The, the heart remains wicked because there is no devotion, there is no sincerity in the, in, in the giving, and there's no sincerity in their devotion to God. Now, I feel comfortable saying this morning that you know, we all know people who infrequently attend church services and believe that because of their commitment to those once or twice a year, normally, you know, like now we'll see the church will be pretty much packed during Christmas as people try to get in their end of the year uh, religion. Uh, and then we'll see they may show up again on Easter uh, as they, they try to reestablish that feeling that has died off somewhere between New Year's and, uh, and, and Easter. Um, you know, they in, indulge in the less respectable sins, uh, and they are good, uh, and, they, and they believe that they are good, in good standing with God. The problem, though, with this flippant attitude is those same sacrifices that the office is referring to. There is no change of heart. They are going through the motions and just giving to God what they believe he deserves. However, they are still disobedient. The issue is with the sinful nature that resides inside the heart. If we look at verse 2, uh, we see that the problem again is where falling man's continued results, uh, continue, continued sinless results. The implications of verse 2 is that man, in his, in his guilty conscience, comes to God in an attempt to solicit a right standing with God on the basis of trying to provide God with what he may need. Ironically, this is exactly the same thing we see today. By default, most people believe, you know, only to look, uh, look to God when you know, their conscience is bothering them, to look to God when they're going through some 
a situation in life that is uncomfortable, when they're in a situation where their guilty hearts are drawing them away from being able to focus on what they want to focus on from their own desires, and they go to God to remedy their current condition. Guilt essentially becomes a catalyst for sacrifice, and therefore, when the guilt subsides, the devotion to God also goes along with it. Now, I've seen this in my own life where when you know, I'm, I'm in a situation where I know I'm not pleasing God, where I know I'm in, uh, I'm in sin, I'm not doing what I need to do, and my guilt, my conscience goes, you need to go to God, you need to read the scriptures, you need to spend some time with God. And I know that I'm confident that everyone has been in that situation, but when we use that guilt as our only reason for going to God, it is empty. That devotion doesn't last. We're going to God because we want to get rid of this, this agonizing pain that's inside us. We want to, we want to go to God, you know, and use God as like, you know, a, a anti-acid or a role. Like, God, take away this, this influx of, of, of pain, this from this influx of emotions. Take away from all this, this icky feeling I have inside. You know, make me, make me happy again, God. That way I can go back to doing what I want to do. The problem is going back to doing what we want to do is not doing what God would have us to do. I can imagine that, you know, this would you know also true in the old days of, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, where as people brought their sacrifices in, they brought those sacrifices in on the understanding, well, this is just something I need to do because I am an Israelite. I need to bring my sacrifices to the temple. I need to present them to the priest to have my sins cleansed for another year. Once that's done, I can then go back for another 364 days or 365 days and be the exact same person I was. Again, there's no change of heart. There's no change. There's no one seeking God. Instead, what they're seeking is to quiet a nagging conscience. You know, it's... I thought back, you know, several times on, you know, the, you know, sitting in the, in the pews at the church and listening to the, the pastor preach and listening to, you know, the family, you know, some in the background crying, some, you know, just in, still in shock of seeing a loved one in a casket and not understanding what is really going on. But also as I, as I listen to that, and I, I, I think about what's going on in my mind. I, I watch the preacher as, as, as the preacher says, where well, they're in a better place. That we are, we are confident now that they are with the Lord. And I think about that in the aspect of, well, have they come to Jesus? Are they only given those offerings in a devotion to ease or conference. And I, and I look at the people as, as, the, as the preacher is preaching and they're saying amen and, and yes and praise the Lord. And I'm wondering, are you only praising the Lord because of the present situation or do you really understand what's going on? Do you understand that this person is not right with God? Do you understand that you may not be right with God and you could be the next guest of honor at the next uh, church meeting, right? Could you be the next person in the casket? And many times I left with a heavy heart looking around the room because I knew that many of them were not right with God, that their devotions were half-hearted, that they were only coming to God in a manner to please themselves, to appease their own 
guilty conscience. Now, we, we see people that go to an occasional Sunday sermon and they think, okay, I've put in my work for the week. I've given God my sacrifice of time. If the church takes up offering, I've given a sacrifice of money. I've even given a small sacrifice of attention. You know, for that 10 minutes of, of praise and worship, I was faithful to reading the words on the screen. For the 35 to 45 minutes that the pastor preached, I was at least 10 to 15 minutes uh, attentive to the sermon. But they are all half-hearted sacrifices. They are done out of a heart that is sinful, a heart that is selfish, a heart that is not inclined to God. And I know this may seem like it's a very down and, and, and drab message, but the the idea, the thing that I really want to take away is we need to think about the more serious things of what it means to be sacrificed. We're going to get to the good news. There is good news in the message of Hebrews 10, and I promise we'll get there. But I need to make everyone uncomfortable for a while. So when the good news comes, that it is good news. There is no good news without the bad news. So we need to get through the, the uncomfortable news of 1 through 4 before we can get to the good news of 5 through 18. And we've talked about how the sacrifices were insufficient, how the animal sacrifices could not purify us for sin, they could not cleanse us. And, and you're, you're probably thinking, well, you know, if, if the law is instituted by God, God, the authority, God who we owe the debt, if God instituted this law, and it was insufficient. If he, and if he required these rituals and they were insufficient, insufficient, and what was the point? Why would God institute these laws and he not desire them that they not be insufficient in cleansing us from our sins when that is what we need? Well, it's a good question. Well, the biggest thing, and we will see this in verse 3, is God needed us to do exactly what I'm trying to get us to do now, to recognize how desperate we are for a Savior. Look at me in verse 3. In verse 3, he says this, But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Simple. These sacrifices were instituted as a reminder. They were for a reminder to Israel to understand their fallen nature, to understand their disobedience to God, to understand that they needed to look to God as their Savior, not to look in and of themselves, to point them back to history. Again, we talked about just going through Judges where over and over again, God rescued his people, and over and over again, they turned away from God, they went back to their idols, unable to save themselves, they cried out for God, and when they cried out for God, God saved them. These sacrifices were nothing more than a reminder. Well, they were nothing but a reminder, but also, from verse 1, we know they were also a foreshadowing to the better thing to come. You know, like Israel, and like, like I said in the opening, we need to be reminded sometimes that we are in a desperate situation. When things are going good, when we're sitting in a, a nice, comfortable sanctuary, we've got 7-degree temperature, you know, when it's cold outside, everyone's comfortable, you know, we forget that God is still working, but he's working because we are disobedient, because we're wicked, that the world is inclined away from God and not toward God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Brian, uh, the type of his message was draw near to God. 
And the fact is, we have to remind ourselves and others to draw near to God. We do not wake up in the morning inclined, well, most of us probably don't. I'm sure there's some who do, but we do not naturally incline ourselves to go and seek God. Normally, our schedule has God somewhere between the morning coffee and the drive to work, or somewhere between the drive to work and the first morning meeting, or at the very least, God is somewhere between our favorite TV series at the end of the day and that 10 to 15 minutes before bedtime. That is our normal draw to God and our normal inclination. This is not what God desires. He does not desire that we give him half-hearted obedience. He does not desire that we come to him only to cleanse a guilty conscience. But this yearly reminder for the Israelites, these sacrifices, was to make sure that he understood that God was the source of their hope, that God was their only means of salvation. And we'll see that here in a second that God is faithful and he always comes through. And we know in this that that sacrifice was always meant to be temporary. It was not there to be the permanent sacrifice. It was not there to cleanse them. It was not even there to please God. And we know as we look through the Bible and we've, we've read through uh, the books of Romans, we've read uh, through uh, several other verses, we know that the wages of sin has always required a blood sacrifice. A price that was once paid by livestock was paid now by God's Son, Jesus Christ. Understanding that the, the original, the temporary sacrifices could never provide a change to human hearts. But God, in His goodness, provided a more permanent, a perfect sacrifice that would do just that. But a matter of fact, sacrifice has been made, made, made available through Christ. God has provided a perfect and permanent sacrifice. What does that mean for us? Well, this is the good news that God has provided for us that permanent sacrifice. As we, we move into uh, verses uh, 15 and 18, we see how the author will, he will turn and he will contrast the weaknesses of the law and he will move into the perfect atoning sacrifice of Jesus. We know that when Adam sinned in the garden, that all men from that point on were born into sin and came under judgment from God. We see in Romans uh, 5.18, this is spelled out for us. It says this, Therefore, by the offense of one, being Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, being Jesus, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For, for as one man's disobedience made uh, disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Christ, Jesus, is that perfect and acceptable fulfillment of God's plan of redemption for mankind. It is only by Christ that man can be redeemed from Adam's disobedience and from Adam's sinlessness. We don't understand just how much we are indeserving of God's punishment, how much we are indeserving of God's wrath for, uh, through his judgment. 
we don't understand that we are helpless by ourselves. I think more than anything else, this is the, the thrust of, of the point to get across. Uh, but again, I don't want to leave us on a note that it's all bad news. It is good news. Through Christ, through, through Christ's perfect life, we have redemption. We are now made well with God. We are being sanctified from our old self, that our hearts are being changed, and we are being made new into a new person that is devoted to being obedient to God. Christ was the perfect sacrifice. Through Christ, mankind has hope. Hope that we can look to him, that in faith in Christ, we are a new creation, that we are now reconciled with God, that we do, as the song said, we no longer have to fear judgment. We have hope in Christ. There's no more fear of standing before a holy God and being condemned on judgment day. There is no more fear of that God will punish me because I cannot be right for, for more than a day at a time or, or even less if, if we're being honest with ourselves. There is no more fear that in, my, in of myself I'm going to fail. You know, it's equally hard to grasp that, that when man sinned that God did all the work. It's surprising. Adam sinned and brought humankind into condemnation, brought sin into the world. But Adam was, was unable to pay his debt. We have to think about it. You know, if, if I go and purchase a house or purchase a car, I'm responsible to pay that debt. The bank looks at me and says, hey, you signed the contract. You purchased the vehicle. You are responsible for satisfying this debt. But Adam, along those same terms, brought sin into the world, but was, in, was unable to satisfy that debt. It's amazing to think about how God not only created the plan, but executed the plan. Man did very little to bring themselves out. Whereas Adam introduced the sin through his obedience, Christ brought about righteousness. We see in verses 6 to 10, that is, it is the obedience of God. Uh, this is, that is the obedience that God required from his people that sacrifices were insufficient because they were not offered with a devoted heart. And we, we, we come back to this place of the right heart for sacrifice, that the sacrifices were not pleasing to God because, God because they did not come from a heart devoted to him. God wanted devotion, uh, dedication. He wanted obedience from his people. He wanted fellowship with his creation. But man was unable to do that. Verse 6 through 10 reads, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, and it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the body of Jesus Christ 
once and for all. Now we see in, in Psalm 40, King David utters basically the exact same, uh, the same, uh, the same phrase. You know, but if we look at King David and we look at Jesus, Jesus is the greater David. Just as Jesus is the greater Adam, he is also the greater David. The, the man, Jesus Christ, the significance of his death goes far beyond his works, goes far beyond him as a good person. We have to understand that if it, not, if it were not for the perfect life of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, that the end of our life, we would be judged and we would spend hell, we would spend eternity separated from God. Could you imagine, again, if God had just stopped at the law, if Jesus had never came into the world, if he had never been obedient to God? Can you imagine where we would be? We would be in a more desirable, more despicable state because all of our works would amount to nothing and we would still be under judgment and condemnation from God. If the animal sacrifices were the only atonement for fallen man, we would be no better off than where we were after the fall. I remember um, when we first went out to, uh, to, Pillar Jack, to Pillar Topsail, um, we, we were there, and it was a couple weeks in, and at the time, um, uh, John Tolleson was, was, was given a message, and then I believe we were actually in, uh, in the book of Luke, but uh, he made a statement, and I constantly think back on this statement, I think, you know, how applicable it is to, you know, what we're talking about with the insufficiency of the law and the supremacy of Christ, and, and he, what he said was this, without Jesus... The law kills us. And then I thought about that, and I asked John, like, well, what are you talking about? And, you know, John, me and John, he goes, oh, yeah, you know, if we just depend on the law, we're dead, man. Okay, um, that's pretty to the point. But I, I think that's, that was a very apt and to the point answer. Without Jesus, the law kills us. And what does that mean, the law kills us? Well, spiritually, we're still dead. We're still dead and we're still under condemnation to God. But physically trying to strive to continuously please God in a manner that is unpleasing to him, that is insufficient, we will be physically drained. We cannot do it in ourselves. And this is where the problem comes in. We get frustrated when in ourselves we try to do all the things that we think that we should do to please God. We, we want to go to church. We want to read our Bible. And we want to... We want to participate in the church activities, and at the end of the week, we're like, man, I'm tired. And we're like, yeah, well, because you're doing it yourself. You're not resting in Christ. You're not resting in the complete work of Christ. And we'll, we'll see here shortly that Christ's work is finished. It says for all time. It's not finished in that he started and then he came to an end, but it is finished in that it is perfected that through Christ that we are sanctified, being made holy from glory to glory perfectly until the day of our final glorification um, and we receive our new bodies with God. But we need to understand that until we do that, it's that one-time sacrifice of Jesus that has removed the penalty of sin, not from us. Nothing that we do will save us. But the good news also is that we have the Holy Spirit as a confirmation. The Holy Spirit 
you know, so we can have confidence in Christ that as we receive the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, we can be confident that we are being led, that the Spirit has sealed us, that we are now in Christ and he, as He dwells in us and walks with us and guides us, that uh, as we live by the Spirit, that we have that greater assurance that through the walk of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have been made right with God. I think about how good this is considering how inconsistent and absent-minded I can be. Um, inconsistent in reading the Bible. Uh, you know, just I've had a while to prepare for this sermon, just to think about it through it. Uh, and one of the things that, that always gets me is like, man, this is a very small passage. But there's a lot impact into this passage. There's a huge impact that this passage has on my life. But the, the inconsistency is in, as I read through it, I'm also convicted that I'm doing the exact opposite of what, you know, I, I know sometimes what I tell, I'm telling you that you need to do here today, that I don't always focus on being confident and walking with Christ, that I look to do things in my own power, that instead of speaking with the Spirit, spending time with God, I look to, you know, other things to give me that boost throughout the day. I look through other things to, you know, walk through my problems. When in turn, what I need to do is confide in the Holy Spirit so that He can guide me the way I need to be guided. And it's unfortunate that we, we look at it and we think about the audience for Hebrews. We, we've got these people, as we, as we walk through it, you know, one of the problems is they were, they were going through persecutions, they were going through trials. We've got, you know, they're, they're, they're leaving from, you know, Judaism and they've got Christianity here and like, man, you know, this whole Christianity thing of I've got nothing that I need to do in order to be right with God. Well, this it seems kind of weird. We're used to where, hey, once a year I need to go in. I need to grab my sacrifice. I need, to, I need my, my bull and my goat in tow. I need to go to the priest and say, hey, look, it's been a bad year for me. I need you to go in, offer your sacrifice first. I want to make sure that you're right with God. And then I need you to offer the sacrifice for me to make sure that I'm right with God. So this whole understanding of, hey, there has been a, a paradigm shift in the way that we can now come to God, not just through the priest, but now we can come to God fully through Christ. We can come to God directly. Now this causes confusion. It's not new. It's not the norm. But it is the better means of, of the God's plan for us. You know, there there is a reference in uh, if he, uh, Philippians 2.12, and a lot of people go here and like, man, I don't, I don't understand, so you're, you're telling me that once I trust in Jesus, I can basically rest in Christ, and there's nothing I need to do, and, and, they, and they go to Philippians, and, and, and it's misinterpreted, and, you know, it says, you know, so I'm just to put my trust in Christ, you know, which says, uh, well, as, you know, instead of walking and in, in faith, I, I want to go back to where I'm actually offering sacrifice. I'm actually doing things in my own will. But the problem here is it's still not disobedient. It's still not obedience. Because in not putting our faith in Christ, we're actually being disobedient to what God wants. And we're not showing that we're confident in Christ to do what he said we do. We're not confident that Christ's work has completed God's plan. We're not confident that God is faithful to his word. 
you know, as the Israelites, you know, one of the things that we look at is, you know, the the desire in certain in certain areas to be obedient to God, but the inability to do so. You know, most people today are willing to say, yes, I believe in God, but I refuse to live under his rule. I believe in Jesus, but I don't understand how I can put my faith in him and not do nothing over here. And the understanding is that you're not called to do nothing when 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 it talks of working out your salvation, that's through a desire to be obedient. We need to be obedient to God. That's working out our salvation, not doing new works, adding to the already finished work of Christ. Again, when we read in verse 9, uh, Jesus said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And this is this is what we're talking about. The we're again the old system was insufficient. Christ, when Christ came, he brought about the new system. The new system was, is perfect. The new system allows us not only to come directly to God, but the new system provides a change of heart. This was a weakness from the old system. In the old system, there was no change of heart. Year after year, the Israelites went in, they provided their sacrifices. Year after year, they went in, and they provided that one-time atonement for sin, and they had to come back and do it again the next year. And the reason was because there was no change of heart. With Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit changes our heart to where we are inclined, we are more inclined today than we were yesterday to focus on God, that we repent of our sins and we look to God for salvation. Yet, there are still scores of people that deny Christ and what he's accomplished. But it's pretty foolish to think that I can do in my own power what, you know, Adam and Eve could not do. That I can do in my own power what uh, the Israelites could not do. It is foolish to believe that I am good with God in my own right. But, again, the good news is that God is good and God is awesome. God provides us with the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. As we move into um, verses 11 to 8, the author again contrasts the old and new and he speaks to Jesus as the high priest. Under the new covenant, Christ sat at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of God, as a mediator between us and the Father. Verse 12 says, But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And and the contrast between what Jesus did and what the high priest did, where the high priest went in and they stood where where you know, they stood in the temple where the um, you know we, we look at when when uh, they were reading the law where Solomon went into the temple, Solomon always stood. He didn't sat down and the seating confirms that Jesus' work was done once and for all. The priests were consistently, um, were consistently at work on behalf of the people. Christ, for one time, provided sacrifice. But even then, the priests were only able to enter into the presence of God once a year. Christ remains in the presence of God on a daily basis and makes intercession for us. 
there's now a there's now no more separation, no more waiting to intercede on behalf of the people, but he, being Jesus, is in the constant presence of God, and his one-time sacrifice signifies the sufficiency of um, of his work. As we come to, uh, uh, if we look into chapter six, verses nineteen to twenty. It says, we have, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of hope. A servant anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the, after the order of Melchizedek. This is the good news for us. That not just good news for the original audience that Christ is in the presence of God, seated. His work has been completed, and we are being made holy forevermore through um, an atonement for sins, past, present, and for future. Why don't we look for we look into uh, verses fourteen through uh, seventeen, and it says, "For by the one offering he forever made perfect those being made holy." And then in verse seventeen it says that God makes a commitment, and the author ends this as, um, as his, his awesome conclusion to the epistle that says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. When we come to Christ, we enter into that perfect offering, that perfect sacrifice that God made for us, and through that, God promises that he will never again remember our sins and lawless deeds. That we can be confident that because God is trustworthy, that his word is also trustworthy. That because God is unchanging, that his word is also unchanging. And as we look at this, you may say, so now understanding this, knowing what I've heard, what is my response to this? Well, the first thing would be obvious, put your faith in Christ. You are not capable of saving yourself. You cannot bring yourself into a right relationship with God. Faith in Christ is the only thing that saves us. You know, my, my final exhortation to you today is if you have not trusted in Christ, if you have not asked God to bring, Christ, bring Jesus into your life and make Christ your Lord and Savior, I ask you to speak to someone today to understand what that means, to understand the depths of your sin, understand the impending judgment that awaits those who have not put their faith in Christ. Speak to, to myself, speak to uh, Mike, uh, to, uh, to Brian, or to Scott, either one of the members that may have brought you here, and have them point you to the scriptures so you can understand that without Christ that you are lost. And then stop looking to do things in your own power. Look to Christ, rest in him, and stop looking to do things in your own power. You know, I reflected back several times on the conversation from their funeral, uh, and you know, and I still am shaken by the by the comment that was made. I'm still, you know, in disbelief to a certain extent that, you know, for for a a a, a generation of people who know the Bible, who have access to the Word of God, who have heard the message of the gospel, still believe that in and of themselves, they are good with God without Jesus Christ. We need to understand that 
Again, we are, we are born deceitful and rebellious toward God. But God has provided a means for salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. The perfect sacrifice of Jesus, through his blood, fallen man can receive forgiveness for his sins. Knowing what you know now, I ask you again, if you died before the end of this sermon, what assurance do you have your sins have been forgiven? When you stand before God on Judgment Day, what will your defense be? Now, there's an appropriate quote from Jonathan Edwards um, that I've, I've written down several times, and it says, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. The world has been deceived and continues to deceive itself into thinking that I am good enough as is, that my good is good enough to please God. Fallen man is incapable of being perfectly obedient, and any righteousness that we may offer God is only seen as filthy rags. There is but one acceptable sacrifice for sin. In this, we must look to Christ. He is the only perfect and acceptable sacrifice for the atonement of sins. He is the assurance that our sins are forgiven and we have been made right with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, and then I pray that you have moved uh, through this message, that the, the tone of the message has brought people to think on their own sinfulness, not in a, in a way that would make them guilty to the point of drawing inward to themselves, but in a, in a way that would make them want to propel forward and to draw near to you, Father, more specifically to draw near to to Christ, to see that your perfect plan of redemption that ended in not the not just the sacrifice and the death of Christ, but his resurrection, that in him we have been made sanctified, that we have been cleansed of our sinful nature that was imparted to us through the disobedience, the disobedience of Adam, that we have been made right with you, and that we've been made holy through the process of sanctification, Father as we continue to walk in your spirit, Father. For those who have not put their faith in Christ, Father, it is my prayer this morning that they would find someone that would give them the message that your spirit would work on their minds and would change their hearts, that would draw them close to you, Father, that would draw them into your saving grace, Father, that they will understand that in themselves they are not good, that there is a judgment that awaits them, Father, because they have not put their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, Father. That is my prayer this morning, Father, for all those who believe that they can do it on their own. I pray that Christ would be at the forefront of their mind as they leave today and throughout this week, that they will draw close to you as you draw close to them, Father, and that the Spirit would move them into an understanding of what it means to be right with you, Father. Father, thank you and we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.